What I like to do is just briefly remind you about the foundation that we believe God wanted us to build this church on, His church. And we always want to try to focus on these seven things. These seven things are the pillar for Westside Christian Fellowship. Each church has their own mission statement, if you want to call it. Or, but what happens is when you have seven things like this, you always go back to it. So is this event or this program or this ministry, is it lined up with what, what God's called us to do? Because if not, a good idea that's not a God idea can be very exhausting. And so I just want to put those up for you briefly and just and just remind ourselves, maybe you as well, um, where we're at and if we need to get back on track. Number one, I think we have the slides of those. I'm not sure. The desperate need for truth. Number one, the desperate need for truth. That has to be the foundation. And as you see now, 13 years later, what's the big divide over? Truth. What did God say? And that's why we need to wake up the woke and point them to scriptures. And look, okay, are we, are we, are we still focused on the truth? Or are we kind of, are we kind of sliding a little bit away because we don't want to offend people? You know, many of you have followed and loved the teaching of Charles Stanley, as I have for many years. Since I first came back to the Lord, got his books, love it. But his son Andy has been slipping in a very dangerous direction. It's out there in the news. It's, he's, have, he's hosting an LGBTQ event. I have no friends personally that have reached out to him. And uh, he's, he's not saying that that's sexual sin. And, and, but, I mean, he's made statements over the years like we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Ding, 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 red, red flag. And so there's a, there's a slow drift away from God. And I don't say these things like I'm going to point them out. I mean, if I'm drifting, call it out. If the church, hey, look what Westside is doing. Away, hey, that's what we're supposed to do. And you see, even like where Rick Warren, how where how far he and I don't want to go into details. How they're kind of all, a lot of people are drifting because they want to relate to the culture and not offend. And in doing so, they offend God because they don't tell people the truth. They don't call things out like they should be called out. And other pastors I've known, even in our valley, that have moved and churches have, have are not there anymore. There's one pastor who I, I actually met with before he resigned and left in our in our local community, and he began to teach that there is no hell. And so I sat down with him and said, and he, you know, and it's just, it's all kind of liberal nonsense. Well, I read this book and this book and this book. What does this book say? See, you drift... You drift from the truth. That has to be the anchor. Come hell or high water, the truth has got to be our anchor. Now, within that, there's non-essentials. There's things that, you know, I don't fully understand God. Do you? If, if you do, I would love to meet you in the prayer room after the service and let me know. I've got a lot of questions for you. And so, the des- and that's why I said the desperate need for truth. And many of you heard the story, but uh, Multnomah, I think, or one of the big publishers contacted me, uh, gosh, probably, I don't know, that's been a while now, eight years or so, and wanted me to write a book to publish, right? And so this was the first chapter, The Desperate Need for Absolute Truth. And that's when they said, you know, this, is, this isn't going to work. You're not addressing a felt need. You know, people don't really, you know, see their need for absolute. I'm like, that's the problem. And so you see the drift away, in the, even in the Christian community. And you saw a lot of what, what COVID you know, kind of revealed 
So truth is the foundation. Without that, you do not have a church. Without that, you have no gospel. Because that is, the, the truth is what we rest our, our lives upon. It has to be. And then, of course, the desperate need for love. It's, a, it's, no, it's not a coincidence that they're, they're by each other. Because if you have love without truth, you're what they call a Pharisee. We, be, we become mean-spirited. And we hit people over the head with the truth. So we have to say, are we loving? Are we focused on love? The desperate need for discipleship. The men's group has been really good on this as well. So has the uh, Tuesday, Donna does Thursday mornings. We have a Thursday night as well in the women's studies or when we did Titus. Uh, The whole point of that is discipleship. You know, Tim and Amy with counseling and, and discipling that we have, if we're not doing that, what's, I I can preach to them on Sunday, but this is the pep rally. Then we go out and we actually do the, the work of the ministry. Many people think this is the final Super Bowl. This is the, the work. No, this is the, this is to get us ready and equip the saints. So is discipleship going on? And then also in my role, I usually disciple those in positions of leadership at the church. You know, a dozen or two dozen people and then they take that down to, to the others and they disciple. Because sometimes people say, well, why aren't you discipling such and such? I, I can't help a thousand people. We have, and many times though they think it's the pastor's job to counsel everyone, go to every visit, go, and, and it's just, it's absolutely impossible. The expectations are unrealistic. And so we are to disciple those, and then you do it as well, and then those underneath them, and it, it kind of flows downhill. The desperate need for prayer. And I know it's easy to say, but it's hard to do, isn't it? And that's why we have prayer meetings and Wednesday services, or Wednesday nights and, and Sunday mornings we have a 6 a.m. service uh, where we follow, we follow it by prayer. And is there prayer happening in our own personal life? And is, is my life marked by prayer? Because I have to get the sermon from the prayer closet, not pop psychology. And so that desperate need for prayer, the desperate need for power, not political power, not power to abuse, spiritual Power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that is behind, second only to salvation is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, in my opinion. The church is lacking the spiritual power found in the book of Acts. Just, just straight up. It's, it's not there. And it's interesting, we don't even hear of Jesus for how many years? 30 years? Well, one little story when he was 12, that little stinker. But then what happened? He was led by the Spirit. Oh no, I might. Maybe he fasted. Why did Jesus fast if it's no big deal? Come on, let's be honest. Why in the Bible four times in every gospel? I think it's. I should have checked, but let's let's assume it's in every gospel where he's led by the Spirit and he goes without food and he comes out in the power of the Spirit, and that's when His ministry begins. Hmm. Coincidence? I think not. How many more are now convicted to fast? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because you know Jesus had the Holy Spirit. He's God. Fully God, yet fully man. Hard doctrine to, to really understand. But there was something, it appears, that... He has the Holy Spirit, but He's not yet endued, clothed with power yet to go out and begin the ministry. 
So that was maybe maybe a buffeting in the flesh. He resisted Satan. We know that he did not cave into temptation and he did not sin, but he was, we have a high priest who can relate to us. He was tempted in all points, yet as we are, yet he was without sin. So we know he was tempted with, with the lust of the flesh. But he came out, read it, he came out in the power of the Spirit, and that's where his ministry began. I wonder how many people, if they would pray and fast, would come out in the power of the Spirit. And we need the power of the Spirit. Without that in the church, you will not see the demonic realm crushed. You will not see healing take place or deliverance take place. You will, you will listen to boring sermons that have no practical application because they are man's opinions on a piece of paper. We have to have the Spirit's power. And then along, the, what comes with that is the desperate need for holiness. And holiness is a, is a word that's been misused, it's been abused, it's, it's actually been misunderstood. It's actually you living in such a way that honors God. And here's the irony, as a result, you'll have spiritual power. And those are the things that lead to spiritual power. Holy and set apart for God. A love for the truth. Discipling others. Serving others. Helping in CM and nursery during rent. The heavens. Loving others. Praying. And that leads to and living holy for God. Means I'm, it, it, This is why there's a huge debate in the Christian community. And I could turn this into a whole sermon. I'd love to, but I won't right now. On why we look a little bit different. I don't, we, you know, people feel the Spirit of God, it, it, they, they, they just can't watch the same things. Because, Lord, I'm going to watch this, it's going to corrupt my thinking. I'm going to go to bed with adultery on my mind from Netflix and wake up not hungry for God. I can't live like that. I, 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 I personally can't celebrate Halloween. Personally. You know, you can dress up in a, in a little princess and, and make bake some pumpkin seeds. Okay, you're not going to hell. God, that's probably Okay. But to celebrate darkness and to celebrate witches and warlocks, I just, I can't do that. I can't, I can't get involved in unhealthy conversations. Now the flesh wants to, correct? That's not all act spiritual here. The flesh wants to eat too much, drink too much, gossip, slander, become angry. All the works of the flesh. But holiness says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to serve God, not because of legalism or a bunch of rules, but it's because of a relationship guided by what Christ did for me on the cross. So I'm different. I'm going to look different. And, and we, at first it was kind of hard for me and my wife because we just met... We're married. We had all kinds of friendships. And they're just like, you guys are kind of weird. You don't want to have the get drunk every now and then. You don't want to watch these movies. You don't want to do this. I mean, oh, you holy rollers. It's like, well, I, I want to. Don't give me... The flesh wants to. But God's called us out of that. There's a holy standard. And, and, and I just... It, it breaks my heart. And here's what it does. It quenches and grieves the Spirit. So now I no longer want to come to church. I no longer want to really be, you know, iron sharpens iron. I don't want to hear, get feedback from others. I don't want to learn and grow. I don't want to worship. I mean, it's kind of boring. I want to get back to feeding the flesh. And that's what happens when you quench and grieve the Spirit. There's the fire of God is lost. And that's another thing we hear a lot from people all over the United States is the fires come back. 
by listening to our services here and participating in the worship and listening to the because something clicks, something convicts them, something you hit me straight on with the with the word of God, and I got convicted. And that's where true change can really take place. And of course, we focus on this every Sunday. The desperate need, desperate need, desperate need for Christ. There always has to be pointing people. Not good ideas, not concepts, not seven ways to financial success. Not three tips to a successful marriage. All those are all great. The desperate need for Christ. And you would be amazed... How many problems would be fixed? How many counseling appointments we wouldn't even need? How many meetings we wouldn't even need to have if we had a desperate need for Christ and a focus on Him? And what does Jesus want? I just want to do what Jesus wants. We would, we would be bored all week because there's nothing to do. A lot of the things that come up in the church and come up in counseling, aren't they? They're the works of the flesh manifesting. And we have to handle those things. Nobody's above needing help, even yours truly. But I have to get that desperate need for Christ every morning. So as much as I wanted to focus on that, that's our 13-year anniversary summary. That's the seven points we build on. If you ever see neglect in any of those areas, let us know. We, we have elders meetings just uh, Friday. And I went and I asked the guys, do you guys see any deficiencies? Do you see us, anything we need to work on? Is there anything where we're, you know, you, that's, that's kind of a red flag? And so we're open to that type of feedback uh, from those we love and trust. That's the key. And so that's what we build the church on. And now let me get to the message. It's not as long. Thank God, right? Revelation 7 and Revelation 8 I'm getting to fairly soon. Um, that's, that's when all the judgments pour out, the bold judgments. And you have to go back and listen to all of Revelation to really put this in context. But I didn't finish up on Revelation 7 the last time I spoke. And the title is, Is God Waiting on You? Is God Waiting on You? Then one of the elders, chapter 7, verse 13, one of the elders answered and said to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? Remember, John saw this vision of heaven. And that's why I talked about the last few times in Revelation. Go back again, listen to those. So he's, he has this vision of heaven, possibly things to come. And so, one of the elders in heaven that John was taken to, he asked John, who are all these people in white robes? And where do they come from? Which is funny because he, the elder knew. He, he's in heaven. He knew. And so John said, sir, you know. You, you, ever, you ever get questioned by people and you're like, come on, parents. We ask, you know, our kids, hey, uh, is this trash supposed to be out? Is, is this, is this, is this dishwasher supposed to be full? Dad, you know. Right. They're using a question to get an answer. And often questions cause us to reflect in our heart. God knew where Adam was, but he said, where are you, Adam? Jesus knew people wanted to be made well, but he said, do you want to be made well? And I love God with Job. Who is this who questions me? 
And God would throw back, who, where were you, Job, when I hung the planets? <laughs> I would think I would explode and evaporate before God. If he's, he's reminding me of who built the universe, who hung the sun out there 93 million miles away. Where were you when I did all this? And so it just dawned on me this week, is God challenging you today? Is there, is there questions that he, he's been asking you? Is he challenging you? Then respond. Respond. I wish I could get this down in the spirit to so many people. If God is calling you to do something, respond. Respond. But our flesh doesn't want us to, right? And the reason I came up earlier and I invited the altar to be open, I wanted also, I, I had a feeling that might happen. But everyone in this church struggles with something, but hardly anyone came forward. Interesting, right? No, of course we don't have to, and many people have, you know, it's no, it's no, but I wanted to show you the, how the flesh prevents often. Or what people, I don't want to go up there, they're gonna think I'm struggling. Hey, I'll lead the way. I'll lead the way. The flesh is, what they call the Adamic nature is still trying to destroy us. The carnal mind is at enmity, is at war with God. So Paul said, I have this tension within me. Woe be to, to that person who always caves into the flesh. He goes, he goes I, I want to do good, but evil is present. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Thank God, that's one good thing I'm looking for when I die. And I'm not, I'm not upset about dying. <laughs> I'm delivered from this body of sin and death. He said, who will deliver me? For with the mind, or with the flesh, I believe, I serve. The, with the flesh, I serve. Or, no, I'm sorry, with the mind, I serve the law of God. But with the flesh, it's pulling me to sin. And so we have this, this war in us. And what do we do with that war? Do we cave in and allow the flesh to, to pull us away? Or do we fight? Do we fight? And one way we fight is not with physical weapons. This is how I fight my battles, as the song will go. Right? This is how I fight my battles, on my knees. Praising God. Repenting God. Get my heart right, Lord. I humble myself before You. This is not right. I don't like this within me. God, I'm taking the initiative. I'm repenting. And then, and then here comes the floodgates of the Holy Spirit. Here's where change is going to happen. Or if you're on this side, nope, it's not my fault. Nope. I was born this way. I'm German, I'm Irish, I'm angry. This just goes together. No, it's, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. And they never, there's no change, ever. It's sad to witness. And so again, is God challenging you on something? Respond. Respond. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to tell anybody necessarily unless something's involved where you need to. But ask me, Lord, help me. I acknowledge it. I find it ironic. I want to do a study sometime. All the people Jesus healed, they often had to do something. You don't see just someone sitting by, looking at the birds, and healed. The woman went and touched, if I could just touch those tassels, that, and then we can get into that, but if I could just touch that hem of his garment, 
blind men crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, be quiet, shut your mouth, the Master's coming. Oh, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Bring him here. The men would carry that other man. They would intercede and they brought him, lowered him through the roof. Folks, do you wonder? You're waiting on God, but is He waiting on you? I don't know. Ask Him. I'm just a messenger and then I leave. You'll get it later driving home, right? And then verse 15 and 16. So this elder said to John, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they are washed their robes and they are made white in the blood of the Lamb. That's why we sing. Sometimes you go, what is the blood of the Lamb? You Christians are... I don't understand. Well, throughout all of Scripture, that the atoning sacrifices of the Old Testament were temporary. You'd shed the, the blood of a bull and a goat and a ram, and the priest would go into the Holy Holies, he would intercede, but that blood is temporary. But then when Christ comes, He is the Lamb without blemish. He is the final sacrifice. That's why He said to Telestai, it is finished. It is done. And then that shed blood covers my sin. So we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Washed and clothed by Christ's righteousness. It's a, it's a wonderful, incredible doctrine. Actually, it's an essential of the Christian faith. Absolute essential. You divide on this, I can't fellowship with you. We can go to lunch, but we can't play church and act like we serve the same God. And so these are the ones who were killed in the great tribulation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. So the key for us today, washed their robes and made them white in the, in the blood of the Lamb. And this might go out to someone, is God waiting for you to put the blood on it? Is God waiting for you to put the blood on it? See, there's so many people in the church that they have religion but they don't have that relationship. They've never repented and said, Jesus, save me, clothe me with righteousness. I want to put the blood on it. And we see Jesus is what our Passover lamb, correct? Where does that come from? Hmm, Passover. Passover. Over here in Egypt, the death angel began to kill all the firstborn. And God said, whoever puts the blood on it, the death angel will pass over. So now we see New Testament, whoever puts the blood on it, the judgment of God will pass over. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now and let us reason together. <laughs> I love this. Think about it. Think about it, folks. We cannot save ourselves. This, this makes perfect sense. Though your sins are like scarlet, in other words, blood red, your sin, they shall be white as snow. They, 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 though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. White, fresh wool because of the blood of the Lamb. And then he goes on to say, these are the ones who come out of the... Oh, he doesn't go on to say, I'm going back to that. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So here's where things get a little bit interesting and why it is confusing. As Christians, we are persecuted. 
and we go through tribulation. But the Bible does refer to something as the great tribulation. A, a time of God's wrath. And I've shared the different views in the past. You can go back and listen to those. Uh, to me, it's clear that, uh, I mean, if, what did Billy Graham say? If God doesn't judge, uh, judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, and we're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's not a popular topic. Do you think this is going to draw in a lot of new, new members? <laughs> it's funny though you don't know how many times when we first planted the church going back to our anniversary that, that people say man Shane you got to tone it down you, you got to just relax brother read Joel Steen and, and, and just be nice and welcoming and you're not, I'm like well, th- these are the things God puts on my heart I don't know what to tell you I'm not a motivational speaker I'll go, do, I'll go sell real estate I mean, you've got, to, you've got to do what God's called you. And it's, it's amazing. People begin to, to flock. Why do we grow during COVID? Flocking to hear the truth of God's Word. Even the difficulties. Yes, the pleasantries are wonderful. But it's the difficulties that really challenge us. And so there is persecution and tribulation. Matthew twenty four twenty one. Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. And again, you can go back and listen. I talked about how some people think this had to do with the judgment on Israel with AD 70. And there's a lot of good points to it. Um, and, I, and I shared about that. Uh, however, I'm not convinced that that was for that, that period. Uh, I believe that there could be a future tribulation coming up. However, I'm prepared either way. How about you? Daniel 12, 1. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. For me, again, it's hard to have that be localized, although I can understand some of the reason why people come to that conclusion. And then the final verse, verse 17, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne... The Lamb, I love this part, who's in the midst of the throne, He will shepherd them and He will lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from every eye. Now here's where this applies to us even today. He's talking about in heaven, I believe. You know, He will lead them to living fountains of water. He will take away the tear. It's it's a great promise. But did you know, did you know you can experience living fountains of water in your heart, in your life today? Right now? Did you know that? I've experienced them and I never want to go back. Are they always flowing out? No. I wish... I went, that's my hardest thing about, the, about, about Christianity. God, why can't I feel always full of the Spirit? Always love and gentle and peace. Why can't I always have the fruit operating? And if you've ever, like, the best day for me is Sunday after church. You, you, you could give me a flat tire. People would curse me out. I'm just, I'm, I'm just bad traffic. I'm just, you know, no problem. Just fruit of the Spirit. Come Monday evening. Hello, we're Sunday. But that we can't just trust emotionalism. We can't always want the spiritual high because there ha- there's lows that point us back to the cross. But you can have rivers of living water. 
Now, that verse in Acts, I don't have time to go through all the different verses, is actually applying to a non-believer. Repent and believe and experience times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So an unbeliever can experience that. But we also know that Jesus talked about whoever cries out, whoever, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, call unto me. And that obviously dealing with unbelievers as well. And he made the promise, drink and you will never thirst again. Remember that, that story with the woman at the well? Oh, woman, if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And I can tell you, as God is my witness, strike me dead if I am lying. Yes, I have challenges. Yes, I'm not always filled with the Spirit. But there is a water on which I will never turn from. There is a water he's satisfying. There is a well that's filling up in my soul. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though what comes against us, we will hold the ground. It's difficult. It's challenging. All hell can break loose. But I drink deeply of the rivers of living water, and I never want to go back. That's the truth. Oh, I, there's no other water I want to try. I don't want to go to Ouija boards and the occultists and, 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 and the palm readers and, and, and wonder this. There's a water I have drunk from that I've always been satisfied. Believe, he said, believe and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Repent and be fresh, re- refreshed. Early on in my ministry, when I used to talk about the Holy Spirit, I would always say this. Mainly, I was speaking at men's events. And I would say, if the Bible says, out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. Maybe this is too close. Out of my rivers of living water. I love Jeremiah's words. His word is in my heart like a burning fire. John the Baptist said, he's going to come and he's going to baptize you. Let's get controversial again. Conservative churches are not going to like what I'm about to say. I'm just reading the Bible, folks. He will, when He comes, He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So it begs the question, where's the fire and the rivers of living water flowing out of the lives of many Christians? Can we all agree it's not there? in the lives of most people? Do you know that's why I don't chastise and rebuke and get angry, but I plead with people? So my preaching that is written off as arrogant or in your face or he's mad, it's a passionate call to you to come and drink deeply of the rivers of living water. That's what it's... People get passionate in the Bible. Do you know that? Jesus would. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! The prophets would. God actually said, go and sound your voice like a quiet mic, little harmonica. Matthias, just a nice quiet. I'm going to sleep. Sound your voice like a trumpet and warn my people of their sins. And so that's where, you know, this is an honesty sermon. This is just coming to me now. I never even thought about it. But this is where a lot of the passion comes from. And a lot of the desire, a lot of the challenging, a lot of the conviction. That's where it comes from. I want you to experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Hey, now it makes sense. And I know people, they get upset and they get convicted. 
And I'm, I'm real, I don't want to share too much, but I've had people leave over the years because I push 6 a.m. worship too much. They don't understand. I want them to experience the rivers of living water, and they're not. They're not. I'm a doctor trying to help you with spiritual cancer. Now, do I do things perfectly? No. Do I preach my opinion at, for, for, from frustration sometimes? Yeah. We live in L.A. County. Good luck. Yeah, my frustrations come out. But at the end of the day, I want people so filled with the Spirit of God. That's a biblical term. If you look it up, look it up and go home. Paul actually said, and take out the Greek lexicon, Paul said, be, be, it's a be being filled. It's a, it's a continual, the actual verbiage would be something like uh, repetitive. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a choice. And, and you have to do certain things that lead to that choice. You have to, somebody upset you, you let it go. You're offended, you let it go. Somebody lovingly confronts you, hey, what can I learn from it? Somebody makes you a little upset, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to forgive and forget. You're, so you're constantly trying to, to usher in that, that refreshing living waters because the enemy wants to pollute it. The enemy wants to stop you from being on fire for God. Without a shadow of a doubt. I don't care if they come to church and they're bored to death and they stay in their sin. They're not leading anybody to the cross. He's got us right where we want us. It's, it's, just, it's sad to see. So this morning is a call to action. Are you lethargic? Are you confused? Are you weak? Is God waiting for you to drink deeply? Leave you with these key thoughts. The Holy Spirit is a well that springs up and out. What's that? Remember that old song? Some of you, some of you, my, my age and older. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes a lane to walk. And I remember as a little kid. But that, that, the Holy Spirit flows in and out. Could it be that nothing's flowing out because not much is flowing in? Because what is in you is going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And yes, it's, some of these things are convicting to hear. But can you imagine if that conviction turned into repentance? Or that conviction drew us to our knees to get that fresh fire again. And I know it's tough, folks. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat up anybody. I, I know for certain, I think God made me a pastor more for me than anyone else. Because now I have to be here every Sunday. I used to get out of all, you know, the kids got a sniffle, let's stay home. Get up in the morning, me and my wife, get into a little bit, oh, I'm not going to church. I don't want God today. NFL, lots on, lots on today. I, I lived it. I lived it. It's like a no, God said, no, you're playing the church. i got to be there every time now. But see, once you get it, the emotions follow obedience. I don't obey because I feel like it often. I feel like it and feel closer to God after I obey. Obedience brings in the presence of God unlike anything I've ever felt before. And you, you, most of you can agree. How many of us didn't want to come to Rand every night? Oh, my goodness. I have to be there. But then when you get there, <laughs> you don't want to go home. Partial dedication can be fatal. We cannot be half-dedicated Christians. Can you imagine a half-dedicated Navy SEAL? How far would a half-dedicated athlete get in the NFL? Or basketball? Or in school? Or in business? Half-dedicated businessman. 
How much more as a believer in Jesus Christ? F.B. Meyer said this, Until that final submission is made, the inner life is in a state of discord and disunity. Let me unpack that. Until we finally submit to what God wants to do in our life, in our heart, we need to repent of some things, we need to get right with other people, we need to get right with God, whatever He's... Whatever We need to submit everything. Until that final submission is made, the inner life is in a state of discord and disunity because we're not obeying God, so we're restless. We lash out at others easier. Amen? Just, just me? <laughs> Did you know that anger in a Christian is a secondary emotion? We get angry because of other things. So many times we lash out, we're angry, we gossip, we slander, we're mean to the spouse, we slam the door, we get angry at the kids. Those often are an outflow of an unsettling in our heart, a discord. There's a discord that's taking place in my heart. I'm not in accordance with God's Word. I'm out of harmony. So there's a discord, a disunity, and, and, and I'm not happy. Have you ever been caught in sin or, or know God wants you to work on something and you're not? I don't want to live there ever again. Now again, big disclaimer, if I could put big red disclaimer up here, that doesn't mean every day will go smoothly. That doesn't mean I'm, t- I'm calling you to be a perfect Christian. But you get up and you fight again. You surrender, you submit those things. And I do that often. Lord, what are some things? Maybe I'll share them with you guys in the future. Where God is, you know, just even the little things. Even little things that that, that I don't want to really give up. And then I'm in a constant state of of turmoil. Because I, I don't give up those things. Again, you're waiting on God, but is God waiting on you? I referenced this earlier, Second Chronicles 7. When Solomon had finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Listen, there's a theme throughout Scripture. Obedience brings the power and presence of God. When the sacrifice is ready, the fire falls. So if you want that fire of the Spirit, you can call it anointing, unction, fire, downpour, whatever it is. If you want that, something needs to die in you. There needs to be a sacrifice on the altar. Oh, now I'm reminded of Paul. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable. This is your reasonable service to God. And as we present that often, and that's what happened in my life. Finally, I just was on my knees, this, you know, this, this, this kid in his late 20s, and finally said, God, I give you everything. doesn't mean I'm perfect. Every, everything is yours. I submit. I can't do this anymore. I can't deal with these things anymore. And I laid that on the sacrifice, and the fire of God came down. So let me tell you about a God who rescues and revives. Let me tell you about the God who restores and renews. This is a call to the broken and the battered, a call to the lost and the lonely, a call to the fearful and the weak. Come and drink deeply of those rivers of living water this morning. Let us pray with you next door or come to this altar and do business with God. Folks, there's nothing more important than this. Nothing. Nothing more important than that relationship with God. I just printed this out from the song we sing sometimes. I was a wretch. 
I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across that great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed. You broke my chains. You freed my soul. For the first time, I have had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. You have brought me from darkness into the glorious light. So if you need to make that decision this morning, if you need to finally submit and surrender, say, I'm done. I'm done playing games with God. Let me pray with you. I'll be next door in the prayer room. We even have the baptismal ready. We're going to have, we, we, we have it ready every Sunday now because there's always people wanting to get baptized. That's a good problem to have. And so I would love to pray with you, baptize you, make that public profession of faith. Or even now as you're sitting here and you say, I was baptized as a baby. Well, biblically speaking, you need to be baptized as a believer. Or if you've been a Christian, when I came back to the Lord, God was convicting me to baptize. I ran from that for a good year and a half. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. The inner turmoil. The inner turmoil. 